Welcome to this sermon podcast from Myo Baptist Church, and thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that God's Word will be an encouragement to you and a reminder that the Bible has all the answers to living a successful and fulfilled life. Again, thanks for listening. We now join the service in progress. So analytical chemistry is what they used to call manufacturing chemistry. It's the chemistry, practical type of chemistry where you actually do quality control in a, in a business and, and test to see if you know, all the um, uh, chemicals you're using are, have the right purity, and then you test the products to see whether they're uh, what they're supposed to be. So it's the very practical, non-mathematical side of chemistry. Okay. So we're happy to be here. We, um, uh, we, I w- I've been teaching at Bob Jones University in chemistry and physics for the last 39 years. And last May, we retired from the classroom. And now we're on the road, and we call ourselves the Bob Jones University Science Ambassador. And we're trying to let people know about the wonderful science and engineering programs we have at Bob Jones. We have a tab- table out there. Feel free to take, take any of the literature. Uh, we're just... You know, people think of Bob Jones, they think of our maybe our ministerial program or our education program or fine arts. We want people to think about science and engineering because I think that's going to be a real growth area for us in the future. As we've gone around, we found uh, that uh, people are thinking they have to send a young person to a secular school uh, to get a good science and engineering education. So I hope that you don't feel that way and uh, I'd like to talk to you about it if, that's, if you want to talk some more about that. And we, I'm passionate about the fact that we are engaged in a battle with the theistic evolutionist. Uh, perhaps you've heard of BioLogos and Francis Collins. And they're uh, very out there. They have a $100,000 grant from the Templeton Foundation designing uh, Sunday school literature to try to demonstrate that Adam and Eve were not real people that you cannot have confidence in the first chapters of Genesis as literal historical narrative. And so we're trying to go around the country, try to uh, defend uh, the Bible as history and uh, what the Bible actually says about creation. And then I'm passionate about answering people's questions. So if, when we have time for questions or you catch me afterwards, if you have any questions, find people, see videos, and they hear different things, and they want to have answers to their questions, and I love to do that. I love answering questions that you may have. So today, this morning, we're going to talk about the moon. The moon. And so our uh, text, of course, is in Genesis chapter 1. If you want to look at that with me. Genesis chapter 1. And we'll look at verses 14 through 19. And I call this the origin and purpose of the moon. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the fourth day. So our topic is the lesser light, mentioned in verse 16, 
our moon, the same moon that Adam and Eve looked at a quarter of a million miles away, or mere light seconds if you prefer, a quarter of the size of the earth, a lunar baseball compared to the earth's basketball. Let's ask the Lord's help. Father, we thank you that we can be here in, in Mayo. Lord, I thank you for our long uh, friendship with the McMorrises, and we thank you for these good people here. I pray, Father, that you'll knit our hearts together, and I pray your Holy Spirit will be active and working as we talk about your great creative power and wisdom. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. So where did the moon come from? Genesis not only tells us directly, but it provides one of the strongest evidences for creation. You say, what if you don't believe the Bible? Well, many careers, much money has been spent trying to figure out where the moon came from. And so when I was uh, just a, a student in junior high school, we had a, a earth science book and had a picture, picture in there. And it showed a picture of, the, of the, earth com- uh, the moon coming out of the earth. The moon was, earth was like a big blob of, of lava. And you have the earth, the moon coming out of it. And where it came out, that's where the Pacific Ocean is today. Okay, so I saw that, that uh, picture and... And that's what they told me. So that's the, um, the um, uh, fission theory of the moon. Well, there's a couple of problems with that. Number one, you'd have to have uh, t- ten times more turning energy, we call it angular momentum in science, to be able for that to happen. Well, the, you know, that'd be a two-hour day. You think you have rush days today. Just imagine if your days are two hours long. And as that moon comes out, it, uh, there's a lot of tidal forces on it. It would be, you know, the difference between the front of the moon and the back of the moon as far as the force on it would rip that moon apart. You would get a ring. You wouldn't get a moon. And then they sent astronauts to the moon. You may have heard about that. And they brought some rocks back, and they found that the rocks on the moon are not like the rocks on the Earth, especially in, in the sense that the, uh, there's not much iron on the moon compared to the Earth. So they gave up on that theory. So then they came up with the condensation theory. And that idea is that the, you have this big cloud of material, and it's, it's starting to circle around, and it goes together and forms the, the Earth and the Moon. The trouble is nobody can figure out why you got two things instead of, three, instead of just one thing. Why not a bigger Earth? Why, why do we get an Earth and the Moon? And nobody could make that work. And so then they went to the capture theory, Capture theory is you have this wandering moon out here coming in from somewhere deep in space and somehow inserts itself into almost a perfectly circular orbit around the Earth. Now, when I was a kid, I grew up in uh, New Jersey, right across the river from Philadelphia, and we, I would go over to the Franklin Institute. And I know kids find this hard to believe that I actually grew up in a time before there were video games. I know you can't imagine how, how you could live without those, uh, but I did. But they had sort of a proto-video game in the, in the, in the um, museum there where you could, you'd have a rocket ship. You're trying to get it to go around a planet. You're trying to get, get it in orbit around a planet. So you had to pick an angle, had to pick a speed. I never could do it. I could never get that spaceship to, to go around the, the, the Earth and every time I did, it would go right off into the outer space somewhere, faster than it came in, slingshot it away. And I think I realized then, just as a kid, you know, how hard that is to get it to come in just at the right speed and the right uh, direction to, to go into a circular orbit around the Earth. 
Well, nobody else could believe it either, and so they gave up on that. And so if you look at the NASA website, you'll see they talk about the collision theory. And this is, they have a planet, they actually gave it a name. They call it Thea, and Thea is the same size as Mars, and it comes in and it whacks the Earth. I affectionately call this the big whack theory. So it whacks the Earth and throws up all this debris, and the debris from Thea and the Earth um, meld together, and you get the, get the moon. And that's the current most accepted theory today. Well, there's a problem. If you try to do it on a computer, it doesn't work. You actually have to have two whacks. You have to have a whack from this side and a whack from that side to get the, to get the angular momentum to work out. Then you have the problem of the isotopes. Now, our periodic table, you've probably seen a periodic table. It has these little numbers on those. And those numbers on the periodic table are based on what's on the Earth. Okay? But the numbers you would get if you're for the atomic weights would be different out in deep space than they are here. And so when we look at the isotopes that are on the moon, they're the same as the isotopes on the Earth. So what they're saying is that there's no way you could have this, this planet come in from somewhere else because we could tell the difference chemically that that, that is what happened. And so that's caused a lot of problem. And then there's this problem with this tearing apart of the moon. Did you know the moon recedes from us at four centimeters every year? It's getting further away. Well, that's not a problem if the Earth, is all, Earth and moon are only six or 7,000 years old. I mean, we're talking about you know, 12 feet or something. But if we're talking about billion years, even a billion years, well, they say it's supposed to be 4.5 billion years old, uh, well, that means the, Earth, the moon is so close to the Earth that it's ripped apart by these tidal forces. They call that the Roche limit, by the way, R-O-C-H-E. If you want to write that down in your notes so I can give you a test later. Okay, and so it would rip it apart. You get a ring again instead of a moon. And so there's, there's all these problems. And, but they don't level with the public about this, that they don't have any explanation for where the moon came from. So in the last year, they've come up with another theory. It's the moonlit theory. You get 20 whacks. They have 20 different whacks coming from all different a- angles. And that's, it really hasn't picked up any, any, any steam here. And then there's an, a theory that's just been promoted and is gaining um, some credence, and that's the Synestia theory. Synestia. And this theory has, the, instead of an Earth, it has this sort of exploded Earth. It's got all this debris, and it's spinning really, really fast. And uh, according to this theory, the moon forms first, and then the Earth, okay? Because that's the only way they can get it to work in their computers. So what they did is they, they work backwards. They look work at what we actually have now, and they put it in a computer, and they get the computer to calculate what it had to be like, you know, four and a half billion years ago for us to have what we have today. And that's how they get around the Roche limit problem, is by forming the moon first and then the Earth. But it still doesn't work, okay? Because the moon doesn't have the, the right chemical composition. It doesn't have a lot... Zinc, for example, is not right on the moon based on that theory. They still do not 
have a theory that works. So I'm telling you, as we, even though the moon is the closest, closest astronomical object to us, okay, we still don't know where it came from. We have no scientific theory that explains where the moon came from. We have a better idea. It's called the fourth day of creation. God spoke it into existence. You know, the moon really is an unusual object. You know, there are those who understand that. They understand how unusual it is. uh, But they don't want to give God the glory for creating it. And so there's one final theory, I guess we'd call it, uh, that we should talk about, and that's the artificial moon theory. There's a book uh, written by Alan Butler and Christopher Knight, and it's called Who Built the Moon? And they believe because the moon is so unusual, it really is very unusual, as far as the size of the moon compared to our planet. A lot of other things they mention in that book. One of the things that's unusual is the fact that when you, during a solar eclipse, you notice that the, the moon and the sun are the same size in the sky. They're exactly the same size in the sky. And why is that? Well, the sun is 400 times further away from the earth than the moon, but the sun is also 400 times larger than the moon. And so they exactly balance out. And uh, they, the, the Butler and, and uh, his co-author Knight, they, they look at that and they say, this is just impossible. In other words, this is, couldn't be a coincidence. And I would agree with that. And they said, what it is, is that aliens built the moon. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the Death Star. You've seen the Death Star? Okay, like the Death Star. And so once we get smart enough to figure out the moon is actually an artificial spaceship, uh, then they'll come, you know, the aliens will come visit us and we'll be invited to join the, their parliament or Congress or whatever aliens have and join the, you know, all these other alien species. In the... So that's their idea. And uh, so I know that's completely wacko. But it is true that it's, you know, Isaac Asimov was an atheist scientist. He described this perfect, perfect visual alignment as the most unlikely coincidence imaginable. And it really is. There's no other planet we know of, either in this solar system or in other solar systems that we've seen with our telescopes, We're standing on the surface of that planet. You would see the moon of that planet and the sun of that planet the same size in the sky. There's just no other place like that. It's just a complete coincidence. And I remember when we had the solar eclipse a couple years ago, over and over again, I'd listen to the scientists, and they would say say that word coincidence, you know, five times, you know, in five minutes. And, uh, but it's not a coincidence. It's like God, it's like God, signed it. He, like, he put his name on there to show us that he created it, especially for us. Well, why did God create the moon? What's the moon up there for? Would we miss the moon if it were gone? And our text gives us important information about the purpose of the moon. So Genesis 1, 14 and 15, God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. Let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. Let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. Also, uh, Jeremiah thirty-one thirty-five: Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinances of the moon and the stars for a light by night. So it's a night light. The moonlight is also critical for agriculture and biorhythms. 
uh, Deuteronomy 33:14, and for the precious fruits brought forth by the sun, and for the precious things brought forth by the moon. Well, we understand that we can't have agriculture without the sun, all right? We got that, all right? But is the moon important to agriculture? Well, as we've traveled around the world, I've talked to farmers, and I'm not a farmer. My, I know my name, George, means farmer, but I'm as far from a farmer as you could get, okay? And I talk to farmers, and they say, yes, that, and that the moon influences their, their crops. They have a, a belief in that. And there's some scientific papers which show that effect as far as protein content and so forth. So I believe that. I believe that there's an effect there. People want to know, is there any effect on people? Well, Psalm one. 21 and verse 6, Psalm 121, verse 6, the sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. Well, I can understand how the sun could smite you by day, especially having my hairstyle. Okay, I understand that. But how about the, how about the moon by night? I get some amens on that. Okay, that's good. Okay. Um, and it's interesting when you read the commentators, they, they, they fall over themselves trying to explain this away. Here's what one commentator says. It's likely that this verse reflects an ancient primitive belief that the moon could have an adverse effect on the mind. Uh, Note the English expression, moonstruck, which reflects such a belief. And uh, no, that's not, you know, when you read the Bible, you take the Bible as as it comes to you. You don't try to change it to meet some sort of modern scientific paradigm, that's not the correct way to go about this thing. Uh, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 24, Matthew 4 verse 24, and his fame went throughout, talking about Jesus, went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those that were possessed with devils, and those that were lunatic, and those that had palsy, and he healed them. What's that Greek word? That's translated lunatic mean. It means moonstruck. Okay, that's what it means. Uh, now, if you look at the modern translations, they'll often use the word epilepsy. But there's nothing in the, the Greek about epilepsy. That word has never meant epilepsy, okay? And, uh, but they, again, they're trying to update the scripture. But again, as traveling around, talking to people involved in mental health, I say, is there effect of the moon on... On, on the mental state of people. Oh, yeah, they said when there's going to be a full moon, we've got to put extra workers on, you know, and the people go crazy there. And I visited uh, a crazy man. You know, every, every fundamental church has, has at least one or two crazy people in it. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know who yours is, okay? Don't look at anybody right now, all right? Don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Uh, usually, I find out who they are because they make a beeline for me after the service to tell me, Yes, some things that they... No, don't... don't, Okay. Anyway, I've been visited a a crazy man we've known for a long time named John and in a mental hospital. And uh, he testifies to the same thing, that that, uh, those nights that a full moon uh, are just crazy inside the uh, mental hospital. And so I believe that. And there are other papers uh, that show this um, uh, relationship and it seems to be a relationship based on the scientific research, based on the brightness of the moon, rather than tidal forces or something like that. So again, I, I think it's wrong to just reinterpret the Bible because it's something you don't understand. 
Okay, uh, there are a lot of things we don't have time uh, to talk about it today, but there are a lot of things it, what we call scientific foreknowledge that the Bible talks about things in science that science didn't find out until much later on. And I think there are probably some things in in the in the Bible that we still haven't figured out in science that are still waiting to be discovered. Okay, well I can't tell you what they are because we haven't discovered them yet. Then we see that the moon functions as a clock and a calendar and a compass. Uh, It gives us stable seasons. So one of the purposes of the moon is to stabilize the tilt of the earth. You know, the earth has um, a tilt of 23.5 degrees. And it's that tilt that's responsible for the seasons. Well, what does it say in the Bible? In Psalm 104, verse 19, it says, He appointed the moon for seasons. Now, how did, how did David or the psalmist know that the moon was there to give us stable seasons? I mean, we just figured that out in recent years. But the Bible said it because God wrote the Bible. It's, it's a, his book, okay? So the moon stabilizes the earth tilt, but Mars, for example, has two little moons, and its tilt's not stable. It goes from zero to 60 degrees, okay? Not a good place to live, okay, as far as that's concerned. And so the Bible tells us it's for seasons, and it is for seasons. It stabilizes the seasons. And God also made the moon to glorify himself. Psalm 8 and verse 3, When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained. Or Psalm 148 verse 3, Praise ye him, sun and moon, praise him, all ye stars of light. How does it glorify him? Well, I was listening to the men sing. Uh, years ago in Australia, I, I sang Almighty Unchangeable God with John Flanders on the, on the, for an open door service we had. We belted it out, the two of us, as a duet. And uh, so I brought back fond memories hearing the men glorify God uh, this morning practicing that song. And, uh, but we, I can understand how we can praise God by, you know, singing and by you know, telling people about the Lord and a lot of things we can do to praise God. But how does the moon do that? I mean, the moon is, doesn't have a mouth. How can the moon glorify God? And it glorifies God by doing what it was designed to do, which, by the way, is a way that we can glorify God, too, by doing what we're designed to do. So I have, you know, a gift in analytical chemistry, okay? So can I use my gift in science to serve the people of God and to advance the kingdom of God. I believe I can. I'm trying to do that. You have gifts, and your gifts can be used for the advantage of God's people and for his kingdom. Okay? I don't know what they are, but you need to think very carefully about what it is you are designed to do. And so like the moon, you can, you can glorify God. Well, let's think about what the moon does. The moon uh, gives us tides. Those tides give us, produce ocean currents. Those ocean currents uh, scoop up the dead organic matter uh, from the bottom of the ocean, bring it up well to the edges of the continents, and that's where green organisms, plants, can, um, can use it as food, uh, like the algae and so forth. And so, at, and what do they do? Well, they produce oxygen. And that oxygen is the oxygen that we breathe. Now, most people think the oxygen we breathe comes from, like, the rainforest or something. But most of the oxygen comes from green plants in the ocean. Without the moon, 
There would be no tithes. Without the tithes, there's no currents. Without the currents, there's no upwelling. Without the upwelling, there's no green plants. Without the green plants, there's no oxygen, and you all die. Okay, we all die because there's not any oxygen to breathe, okay? So the, God, so the moon glorifies God by doing what it was designed to do. My wife has, has organizational gifts. She's the one who keeps me straight, okay? What? Oh, yes, she's going to keep me straight. I'm going <laughs> to... That's her calling is to keep me straight. All right. So she wanted me to do, do a demonstration. She'll be doing some demonstrations in, uh, in children's church. Yeah, I got get this here. Okay, we're going to do, um, we're, yes, the moon and the earth are hung on nothing. So we're going to demonstrate centripetal force. Here's a cup full of water. You've all been wet before, right? Okay. I don't know if that was yes or no. I heard that sound. Okay, here we go. See if we can do this without, the, without it uh, falling off. Okay. Okay. There we go. Okay. I've only uh, thrown water on several computers. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Okay. So that's just a little foretaste. We'll do some demonstrations in the afternoon service as well when we talk about global warming. Okay. So, and the moon is beautiful, and that beauty reflects the beauty of its creator. And it's not just Christians who think the moon is beautiful. Unsaved people do, too. Albert Einstein said, I like to think that the moon is there even if I'm not looking at it. Oscar Wilde said, beauty is a form of genius. It is higher indeed than genius, as it needs no explanation. It is of the great facts in the world like sunlight or springtime or the reflection in the dark water of that silver shell we call the moon. Mahatma Gandhi said, When I admire the wonder of a sunset or the beauty of the moon, my soul expands in worship of the Creator. The Bible talks about the beauty of the moon. In Song of Solomon, uh, chapter 6 and verse 10, Solomon's describing the beauty of his beloved, his first wife. Uh, Who is she that looketh forth as the morning? Fair, or we would say beautiful as the moon, clear or bright as the sun, and terrible as an army with banners. Now, that probably wouldn't make a good Valentine card, the, t- the terrible as army with banner bit. But what, what it actually is talking about, it's talking about the, 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 he's looking at the heavens. He's looking at the, about the stars marching across the heavens at night. He's thinking of it as rows of soldiers going across. So he's talking about it's all inspiring as the stars in procession. That's the idea behind that, that idea of terrible as an army with banners. The moon has a glory all of its own that ultimately reflects the creator's glory. 1 Corinthians 15.41 says, There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for one star differeth from another star in glory. I love that song uh, that's come down to us through history of fairest Lord Jesus. Think about this song, the words, fair is the sunshine, fair still the moonlight, and all the twinkling starry host. Jesus shines brighter, Jesus shines purer than all the angels heaven can boast. 
So do you know that Jesus is fair? Do you know why he's so fair? Do you know why, uh, as a Christian, I think he's the most beautiful thing in the world? Well, we're going to talk about beauty in the service coming up here. We'll talk more about that. But if, you, if that doesn't resonate with you, if you don't think of Jesus as being beautiful, more beautiful than the moonlight, uh, then there's a lot of people I'm sure here would like to talk to you about why we believe that Jesus Christ is so beautiful. Well, I have more in my uh, notes here, but I'm going to open it up for questions now before we finish up. Any questions that you have about the moon or any other aspect of, of Bible science that may be on your heart or mind at this point? Yes? Right. So the question was, why do we only see one side of the moon? Okay. So eventually planets in, over time become tidally locked with each other. And so, for example, Pluto and its sister planet, Charon, uh, they're completely tidally locked. They, they move like this. All right. And eventually, given enough time, our moon would be the same way. I mean, it would take millions of years, but eventually our moon would be locked so that only people, say, in North America could see the moon, but people in Asia couldn't, all right? That's the way it's going right now, okay, given it enough time. So the, 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 right now it's sort of only partially locked so that the, that one side of the moon is locked in the direction of the earth, okay? God made it that way so it only, only that one face appears toward us. No, it hasn't varied at all. So God made it that way. So over, you know, in as far as, you know, the six, 7,000 years we've had. So it hasn't varied at all. So one of the things you may not have thought about is the fact of how dark the moon is. Okay? The moon has about the same reflectivity as, say, worn asphalt, like out in your parking lot. Okay? That's about the color as far as reflectivity is concerned. And that's a blessing because if the moon was too bright, it would throw out, off all the animals that depend upon moonlight as far as their biological cycles are concerned. And so the moon, the front of the moon, has a little bit different reflectivity than the backside does. And so I think there's some purpose in that as far as God keeping that one face toward the, toward the earth. Yeah. Yes? Right, so the reason, the question is why does the moon appear to be bigger on the horizon? It's an optical illusion, and you can, you can get rid of that optical illusion uh, very easily. Is, well, I can't do it very easily, but uh, when I was younger I could do it. If you, if you look upside down at the moon, okay, if you look at, yeah, okay, you, if you look, you know, so go out in the parking lot and, you know, and, and look through your legs, and people may wonder about you. But if you look at the moon upside down, uh, you, the, the optical illusion disappears. Okay? It's your brain trying to interpret the size of the objects in the foreground, the trees and so forth, in relationship to the, the larger object that's further away. 
Okay? So it's just the optical illusion based on processing going on in our brain. Okay? You can prove to yourself it's not a different size. You can take a, like a quarter and hold it up when it's up here and then when it's down here, and you'll see that, it, that you hold the quarter the same distance from your eyes. That's right, yeah. So, yeah, so that's just the optical illusion. It's interesting how easily we can fool ourselves into believing things that aren't true, but that's the nature of the human beings, yes. Yes. That's right. So it's four centimeters, actually. It's four centimeters. And over a billion years, they're not saying that that would be linear. It, would be, it wouldn't be a linear function, you know, a straight line, okay? It would change, okay? But we know that it would only take one billion years for the moon to be within the Roche limit, where it would be torn apart by tidal forces, okay? So they have no explanation for that. So I, I, was, in a, I was in a church in um, uh, Melbourne, Australia, is a Romanian church and speaking through an interpreter. And this lady gets up in the question time and she says, I'm so-and-so, and she was interpreting herself in Romanian. And she said, I have a PhD in astrophysics. And I said, and she said, I want you to know what, what this man said tonight is, is completely wrong. Okay. And uh, I thought those big, burly Romanian deacons, they were going to pick her up and throw her out of, the, out, of the, out of the room. And I asked her, I said, well, how about the Roche limit? How do you explain, you know, the fact that the moon hasn't been torn apart, you know? And she said, well, I don't know. I don't know. She says, but it, it, you know, it, it, can't, it couldn't be the way you said. And I saw her afterwards. I said, well, all I'm trying to do is be, uh, you know, true to what the Bible says. I said, the Bible says that God spoke it into existence. Why couldn't God have done that? And she thought about it. She said, well, I guess that would work, she said. <laughs> you know, it's, so that's the problem. The moon, there's a lot of things about the moon that show that it's young rather than old. Okay. And what you see all throughout the solar system, people say, well, how do you know that this, the end of the world is young? And because it looks young. Okay. I mean, that's the short answer. Yes. So Isaac Asimov, I quoted the atheist, he wrote a science fiction story in the 1950s about exactly this happening, that them landing on the moon and sinking out of sight, you know, because of all the dust that would accumulate. And uh, so they were concerned about that. So in the 1960s, they sent probes to the moon and they watched it with their telescopes to see if there's a big of dust, you know. And there wasn't, all right? That's how they knew there wasn't. And so when they... So um, the creationists grabbed a hold of that, and they said, ah, this shows that the moon is young because of the, of the dust and so forth. But what we didn't understand was that 
the moon is being hit by hard radiation all the time by the sun. It's like a welding torch. And it welds those, those grains of dust to the surface of the moon, just makes more regolith on the surface. So this is an example of a, a theory that creationists had that we no longer hold to any longer. And so creation science is like any other science. It changes. I tried to make a case that, that when I was at school, they should pay science teachers more money than Bible teachers because you, you just have to have one book and it's true all, all your life. Whereas my, you know, my information changes all the time. So, but I never got anywhere with that argument. Okay. So, but that, so anyway, when you think about creation science, just realize it's like any other science. Uh, we learn new things. And there's still things that we're going to learn in the future that some of these young people may sit here today will contribute to the field. And so it's not, it's not like our knowledge about creation came down on a sheet to Henry Morris in 1960, okay? It, it's actually something that we're learning about all the time. Okay, we have time for one more question, I think. Yes, ma'am. Okay, so what makes the moon brighter on some nights and not as bright on other nights? Mostly the atmosphere, the clarity of the atmosphere, you know, how much clouds or, or water vapors in the sky above us, that would be more the case. Okay, so you can see cool, cold, clear nights where the your relative humidity is low. You don't have as much water vapor between us and the moon, and so it looks brighter. Okay, well, let me... Just to wrap this up, we, um, I, I have a whole other part of this message, and part of it is the fact that God has made certain promises to us about the sun and the moon. I just want to read this last verse, Isaiah 30 and verse 26. Moreover, the light of the moon shall be as the light of the sun, and the light of the sun shall be sevenfold as the light of seven days in the day that the Lord bindeth up the breach of his people and healeth the stroke of their wound. And so here are many, here's a prophecy which is speaking to us of the glorious future that we all enjoy uh, that's just as sure as the moon is there. It's just as sure that God is going to provide that glorious future for those who believe in him. Next time we look up at the moon, should not only be overwhelmed with the creator's wisdom in creating just uh, such a beautifully functional object, but also reminded of the promised glorious future with our Savior forever. We were up in Nova Scotia with our little daughter, Katie. She was like two years old. And uh, we were with the mission team there, and there was aurora in the sky. There was shimmering lights in the sky. And my coworker, Nelson McGew, who just passed away this past year, uh, he picked her up. So we picked her up and said, look, look, look at the sky. You know, it's beautiful shimmery lights of the northern lights. And Katie had dropped her stick she was holding. And she said, stick, stick. She wanted that stick. And she wasn't interested at all those lights. And uh, I hope when you go outside and you look at the moon that you're not so concerned with the sticks of this world that, that you forget to look up once in a while and think about the glorious future that God has prepared for those who love him. Okay, thank you, Pastor. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope that the service was a blessing to you and that you were encouraged by God's word. 
If you have any questions about Mayo Baptist Church, please contact us anytime. You can find contact information on our website at myobaptistchurch.com. Thanks for listening.